Oh, good morning, church family. It's so good to see you guys. Uh, I already said it, but I'm going to say it one more time. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. I am so very thankful to be here and to be able to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. You know, all four of the Gospels tell the story of Jesus' resurrection from slightly different angles and with varying details, but Matthew's is the first one that I looked up this week, and it really, really connected with me because of, of something that, that shows up only in Matthew's account, and, and it's not coincidentally, it's also connected with something that I read about evangelism, which means sharing the good news of Jesus this past week. Um, so we're going to read through these, these 10 verses first for kind of a, an overall picture of this wonderful and familiar story, and then we're going to come back and we're going to dig a little deeper. So um, just go ahead and follow along with your eyes. Um, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Praise God. Will you bow with me? Father, we ask in Jesus' name this morning that each person here receives the seed that is planted. We ask, Father, that you will cause all of us, Lord, to be receptive, to listen, open our hearts and eyes to understand your truth. Father, we know that, uh, we know that this amazing story, Father, is true. And yet it rings, uh, it, it sounds so fantastic, it sounds so unbelievable. And yet we believe and we know that it's true because we have so much evidence that what Jesus promised really came to fruition. And God, we, we see it not just in our own lives, we see it in history. We pray, Father, that you help us to uh, receive exactly what your Holy Spirit has for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, I want us to take just a moment to grasp what's going to happen here for the next few minutes, if the Lord wills, okay? What Matthew recorded here is one of four miracles in history that are so monumentally important that we would not have our biblical faith apart from them. One is the creation of the universe by the Word of God. One is, and this is the second, is that word became flesh, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. The third is that he, 
the Son of God and God the Son lived a sinless life and then died on the cross as the payment for our sin, appeasing the Father's wrath and satisfying justice. And then the fourth is that this man, Jesus Christ, came back to life and rose from the grave and that he is victorious over sin and death. His resurrection is the proof that everything he claimed about himself and every scripture that foretold him was completely and 100% true. And we are so blessed that we have these eyewitness accounts. Two of the Gospels are eyewitness accounts, and two of them are, are uh, one is from an eyewitness through his protege, the Gospel of Mark, and the other is from a guy who said, I'm going to spend the time to compile all the stuff that I've learned and write an orderly account. We have these amazing accounts. And they were, they were compelled, these men. They were compelled by the Holy Spirit to share this truth with us. And it's because of their faithfulness that we get to hear about Jesus. We get to believe on Jesus. And we get to take part in his resurrection life. Of course, we Christians... Honestly, we ought to be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord every Sunday that we're together. And ideally, every day that we're separate as well. Because that's the, the linchpin, it's been called, of our faith. But we pay extra attention to the miracle of the resurrection on this day every year. And we at Crossroad typically talk about how it applies to our Christian life. And so today is not going to be an exception to that regard. But the emphasis is going to be a little bit different this year. Because we're going to focus on something that we as a church need to engage in more deeply and faithfully, and that is evangelism. Now, the word evangelism comes from the Greek word meaning good message. It's often translated gospel in our English translations. Uh, the last week, I've been doing some reading on outreach and evangelism, and something I came across pointed out uh, two short specific commands that show up multiple times during Jesus' earthly ministry. And, and while I don't think the article mentioned this necessarily, the Holy Spirit, uh, I think he reminded me while reading it, that the angel said these things to the women at the tomb because both of them show up right here in back-to-back -back sentences in Matthew 28. The angel says, come and see the place where he lay. And go and tell his disciples, and these are our two main points today. They both show up in a major way in the resurrection story. Come and see, and go and tell. So we're going to look at it in context, as spoken by the angel, but we're also going to discuss how it applies to each of us, and what it can mean to the unbelievers that are in our sphere of influence. Okay, so we're going to return here to verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Let's, let's look at the context here, okay? When Matthew writes, after the Sabbath, um, you, you may have seen this. It's been kind of a, a thing on social media the last week or so. Um, but it is quite possible that he was referring not only to Saturday, but to the previous Friday, which was also a feast day, and thus what's called a calendar Sabbath. Um, as opposed to just the last day of the week. And if that's the case, which John's gospel actually seems to indicate because Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, is what John says. It actually fits Jesus' statement more literally about being in the earth for three days and three nights. 
Okay, but either way, however, however the days and nights were counted, it was the early dawn of Sunday when these ladies were headed to the tomb. Now you remember, they'd seen where Jesus' body had been laid. You may recall that, that Mary Magdalene was a woman that Jesus had freed from demonic possession, whereas the other Mary is almost certainly the mother of Christ, based on the other Gospels. And they would have been grieving. They would have been mourning his death. And we know that their intent was to honor him. They had brought spices. They brought perfumes that they wanted to wrap with his body. They wanted to, uh, to do a more, um, a more honorable burial by embalming him. There's probably some irony here because they clearly loved him, and yet they did not believe his promise that he would rise again. And yet there's something, there's something that we can learn from them I think is very profound. Whether you are a pre-Christian that God has moved on your heart, he's prompted you to seek the truth, or, or whether you're a believer who's just struggling and feeling jaded, uh, you know, but you're seeking help. Listen, the best place that you can go is wherever you'd expect Jesus to be. Okay? Go where you would expect Jesus to be. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, you are in the right place. Because you ought to be able to, to, to find Jesus, right? <laughs> in a worship service. You would expect to encounter Christ in a worship service. And if you're a believer already, then, then you, should, you should obviously expect him to be here uh, and, and among the rest of the body because the, his body is the church. It's the people. Now, though, as Christians, we know he is always with us wherever we are. His presence is more clearly felt in the right circumstances. Okay? You, you also know, I hope, that you can go to the Word of God and you can, you can find Christ there. In the word of God. And you can also come into the throne room through prayer whenever you feel led to do so. But whatever, whatever your spiritual state is, go where you expect to encounter Jesus. Because he honors our attempts to seek him. You know, in Jeremiah um, chapter 29, there's one very familiar verse you probably know of. I'm not going to share that one right now. I'm going to tell you one that comes a couple verses after that. Because God is speaking through Jeremiah to the, the defeated, faith-depleted, morally-challenged Israelites, and he tells them that they would seek him and they would find him if they seek him with all their heart. So listen, we Christians already have a really big advantage over these two Marys because we know he's alive. I mean, even if we currently are struggling with our faith... We've already received the risen Christ in our hearts, and so, so there's also a come and see that we have to offer to those who are not yet believers. You know, just, just as, as Philip went to Nathaniel, and he said, come and see. You know, just as the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan woman, ran back and told the townspeople, come and see. We can be that beggar who tells the other beggars where to find an inexhaustible feast. I'm going to keep reading. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and, and rolled back the stone. And, and I, I really, I love this. He rolls back the stone and just sat on it. <laughs> He's just waiting. He just sits on it. And so the, 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 the soldiers, they fell as though dead. 
This must have been a really shocking thing. You know, it says, his appearance was like lightning, his clothes were white as snow, and in fear the guards trembled and became like dead men. This is the only gospel that gives that last detail about the soldiers, and I love this. Can you imagine how awkward they would have felt reporting this later? You know, and we actually get to see that after the story, how their, their conversation went. But, I mean, you know, can you imagine? They're like, well, and this man in white rolled away the stone, and, and we all fell to the ground, you know? I mean, they're like, what? No, our shoes weren't untied. Yes, it was just the one guy. Yes, we had our swords and our spears, yes. You know, I mean, can you imagine how that conversation would have gone? I just think it's wonderful. But the angel said to the women, who apparently arrived either right then or pretty quickly afterward, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, as he said. I wonder, I wonder if the angel tagged that last little bit on there, you know, because he couldn't understand why they didn't just believe what Jesus had told them, right? You know, as he said, he's not here. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. I kind of picture him like, like ushering them forward. You know, and, and, and saying, look. Look in the tomb. See, I'm showing you this. I told you, look. He's not here. The angel's point is obvious. Come and see. He's not here. Observe the evidence for yourself. Now, hey, one of my favorite parts about the story of Jesus is how often he backs up what he says by doing things that are literally impossible, unless you're God. He does these amazing, you know, these, these women who are being shown the empty tomb, they had seen his deeds. They were certainly aware that Jesus had raised other people to life. So they didn't have proof that this wonderful story was true, that Christ was alive, but they had a mountain of evidence. And honestly, so do we. You know, if you've never, if you've never read the book More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell or The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, um, I would definitely encourage you to do so because they both make a strong case that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was real, that it happened in a specific place at a specific point in history and that it was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't just some kind of you know, spiritual thing. And what's really interesting about McDowell and Strobel is that both of them set out to disprove Christianity. And both of them were converted by the evidence. I don't have blind faith, friends. I have faith based in evidence. And I'll bet you do too. So anyway, one of the most compelling facts in the case of of Christ's resurrection is that Jesus' disciples, except for Judas Iscariot, who hanged himself, and John, who was horribly persecuted but not executed, all of the other apostles died a martyr's death because they wouldn't deny the resurrection. Think about that. I mean, who dies for a lie that they know is a lie? They had to have seen the resurrected Christ. If you're willing to look into it, there's a, a whole lot of evidence, but there's more than just the scriptural and historical and logical and archaeological evidence. There's also the evidence of changed lives that reflect Jesus Christ. 
So you don't have to just say, come and see with regard to a church service. Any gathering of believers should be sufficient evidence to prove that Christ is alive in his people. I'm going to say that again. I want you to hear it, okay? Any gathering of believers should be sufficient evidence that Christ is alive in his people. When you're having a backyard barbecue, you know, with your, your family, your friends, your, your, some unchurched friends, invite people. Invite people that they can experience how, how godly people show hospitality and, and how they serve one another and how they treat outsiders with kindness and respect. And by the way, if you're a Christian and you don't treat non-Christians with kindness and respect, you need to check yourself. Check your heart. Okay? When that happens, when, when you show godly behavior, what you're doing is, is being evidence of the risen Christ. Because other people can observe that, that Christ's spirit in you whenever they come and see. And when God provides the opportunity, then you share the good news. You tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's possible that you're thinking, I, I don't know if I can do that. You know, I don't know if I have time for a backyard barbecue. I'm busy. I'm tired. My family and I are way imperfect. I'm afraid I'd be a bad advertisement for Jesus. Listen, if that's the case, then maybe you need to re-experience the reality that Christ is alive. He is alive. He wasn't just risen from the, from the grave and he was alive back then. He's alive now. You know that, right? He's alive now. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Okay, and if you do, then don't you think he can provide, if he can raise himself from the dead, he can provide what it takes for, for fallen you and messed up me to function as his ambassadors? I think he can. Folks, the grave is empty. I mean, it, 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 that's got to get deeper than just the old gray matter. It has to penetrate to the core of who you are. Christ is alive. He's alive in your heart if you're a Christian. Remember Romans 10? What's it say? It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your what? Heart. That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is alive. Everything that we struggle with, he overcame. These women at the grave, remember, they hadn't seen Jesus alive again in person yet. Now, it's pretty, it's pretty convincing, I'll admit, to have an angel you know, show up and tell you he's alive and have a missing body, but they still hadn't seen Jesus yet. They didn't have that irrefutable proof, but they believed. And when they saw his resurrected body, they believed, but they believed before that too. You know, what did Jesus say to Thomas? You remember he says, uh, have you believed because you've seen me? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So you, friend, Christian, brother, sister, you are blessed today because you have believed without seeing. It's not the same thing as blind faith. Don't make that mistake. You have not seen Jesus with your eyes yet, but you're blessed. 
And you may not feel very blessed right now, you, you know, it, but if you believe in the resurrected Christ, you need to take Jesus' word over your fickle emotions. Because we may not feel blessed, but that doesn't mean we're not blessed. He is alive, and, and not just alive somewhere. He's alive right here. For all of you who believe on Christ, he's alive right here. He's alive in heaven, interceding with the Father on our behalf. So just don't forget to experience that wonderful reality that Jesus Christ is alive. Now let's look at the other side of this. What did these women do because they believed? Starting in verse 8, it says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now this, this is an awesome paragraph. And see him they did, and that's when they received the great commission to make disciples. a wonderful passage for another day. Um, six years ago, almost six years ago, when I preached my first sermon here uh, as being the, the candidate for ministry, I preached on that passage, the Great Commission. Such a, yeah. Doesn't seem that long, does it? Yep. Uh, it's just, anyway, that it's the Great Commission is awesome, and we are going to go over that again before too long because we need to, because we need to. Um, so, but for now, we're going to see what the Marys can teach us as Christians. We see they came and saw, right? And so now, they're showing us what it means to go and tell. You know, if, if we believe in, the, in the, the, the resurrected, the risen Christ, then how should our faith lead us to live? We see several things here in this passage I think could be instructive to us, okay? So, number one, like they did, we can go in the fear and the great joy of God. Now, what does that mean? First, why should we fear? You know, these, these women are probably still kind of shell-shocked. They've been interacting with a heavenly being, right? But that's not all. They had just come face-to-face -face with the power of the Lord. I mean, they knew that, that people had been raised from the dead before, but never had anyone raised himself from the dead. That was a whole new thing. I mean, that is an awesome power. That's a terrifying power that Jesus displayed in conquering the one thing that no one had ever conquered before, which was death. No one had ever escaped death. No one since him has ever escaped death. Those of us that are not dead yet, we're gonna. We will be. Even taxes, they say. Taxes and death. Mm-hmm. There's some people that get away without paying taxes. <laughs> but everybody dies. Everybody dies. Every other person prior to that who'd ever been raised to life, like Lazarus, you know, the, the young man in the funeral beer on the, in the, the Gospel of Luke, the, the little girl, Talithakum, that Jesus raised from the dead, all of them died again. Think about it. But Jesus rose once and for all, because he died once and for all, never to die again. But if they had taken the time to play back what Jesus had said to them before his crucifixion, they'd remember that he claimed that his death would pay the ransom for sinners. Because you remember, he did say this. And if they 
went back into a little bit of memory recall and realized that that would probably get hit by kind of another lightning bolt of like, oh my goodness. You know, I didn't think about that. His death on the cross. They must have suddenly recognized as, as time went on that, 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 that this, was a, this was an atoning sacrifice. It was no accident. It was no thing that, that, that hadn't been planned from day one by God. This was something that had been on the, on the docket all along. And they must have caught on to that so that sinners like them could be saved. I mean, what kind of God would love his enemies so much that he would send his only son to die for them? Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. That God would, would visit such terrible suffering and wrath upon an innocent man in place of the guilty people that earned it. And further, that he would impute the righteousness of that innocent man to those guilty souls who, who could not and would not ever deserve it. That God deserves our fear because we can't comprehend his kindness. It's too big. A God that would have that kind of mentality, that he loves his enemies in that way. We can't even grasp it. We can't wrap our brains around it. We should... Live in great fear. But it's also his glorious kindness in Christ that produces the joy that we feel. Because just as they were full of joy in, in Jesus' resurrection, so we can be full of joy that his life and his death has been applied to each one of us that believe and so are slain. It's been wiped clean. It's fresh. It's new. Now, friends, wouldn't it be strange... If those women had just said, wow, that's great, and then just decided to go home and not tell anybody, would that make any sense? Well, thankfully they didn't. They decided to do just what the Lord had told them to do through an angel, and we ought to do the same thing. Brothers and sisters, we need to obey his command to share the good news with others. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead means that every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Every promise. Everything he said is true. That means all the ramifications of what he said are also true. His resurrection is proof that this earthly life will end, but there is eternal life waiting for anyone who trusts in the resurrected Lord. Now, would, wouldn't it be foolish... Wouldn't it be miserly if we just hogged all that for ourselves? If we refused to share the good news about Jesus with other people because we, we didn't want to feel uncomfortable, you know? We didn't want to potentially offend somebody. There, there's a guy, um, forgive me if I, because I think I said something about this on a Wednesday night recently, but um, a guy named Penn Gillette. He's, he's one of the, he's, he's part of the, the magician duo, Penn and Teller. You've probably heard of Penn and Teller. Um, he, he is a, a very strongly opinionated atheist. But he said this, you know, I don't, I don't share a lot of theological common ground with him, okay? But, but I do think that this is something I agree with. 
This little rant he posted a while back. Just listen. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about that? That's from an atheist. How do we justify being given the gift of eternal life by grace through faith and not feel convicted to share it? Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying this to browbeat anyone. It's not about feeling guilty. It is about owning the conviction that everyone needs the opportunity to believe in the risen Christ. God is using us to draw people to Christ. He is using his people as his witnesses to snatch people from the road to eternal hell and give them eternal life instead. I want to challenge you with something. I was challenged with this week with a slight modification. Every day for the next three weeks, when you pray, ask God to give you his heart for the lost. Just, just pray, Lord, give me your heart for lost people. That's it. It's real simple. Just pray, Lord, give me your heart for lost people and mean it. And I believe he will answer us. I believe he will give us his heart for lost people. So these women are running to tell the disciples, and Matthew says that Jesus intercepted them. And look at their response. <laughs> they dropped to the ground, grabbed his feet, and worshiped him as God. And church, we need to do the same thing. You know, we've got to, we've got to cling to the risen Christ and worship him alone. For he is worthy of all praise, all gratitude, and all allegiance. You know, as, as Peter said, Jesus alone has the words of life. Right? He says, to whom else shall we go? There is no one else to whom we can go that's going to matter, that's going to help us in the grand scheme of eternity. And as these women, as they clung to him, just in the same way we need to figuratively grab hold of him and never let go. You know, in John 15, Jesus instructed his disciples to abide in him. He said, for apart from him, they could do nothing. And we need to grab hold of this truth. We need to recognize it in literally every area of our spiritual life, not just for, for salvation, but we need to understand it for being made like Christ for our sanctification. For anyone who does not come to Christ through faith, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They will not receive eternal life, but rather eternal punishment. But for those who have already come to Christ in faith, we must not act as if we are home free yet. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong, friends. I believe that true Christians are assured of salvation. I believe that. But there are many false Christians with false assurance because someone told them that just saying a little prayer or just getting wet was all that made a Christian. And if we want to have assurance that we are actually Christians, we experience that reality by clinging to Christ. 
Because we don't want to slip into, into disobedience or turn away after, after idols or after false gospels. Cling to Jesus, friends. Cling to him. If we do this, we, we, can, we can better grab a hold of, of him as his hand is grabbing a hold of us. We can sense it better. We can experience that, that we are in his hand, out of which no one can snatch us, Scripture says. So if we believe, let's cling. His hand is mighty. Let's worship him alone. There, you know, there are so many lesser gods, and I say that with like air quotes, <laughs> little g, so many lesser gods that it, are clamoring for our attention. You know, some of us have fallen prey to, to addiction or perversion, and we've placed that thing on the throne in our heart that ought to belong to God. Materialism, I think, is the dominant master of so many professing Christians. An unfathomable number of those who proclaim to be Christians are bowing to Moloch now. And they're either fighting for the right to sacrifice children in a clinic or to sacrifice children to gender insanity. We have, to, we have to recognize that the only way to fight against this is to grab a hold of Christ. We have to cling to truth. We cannot give in to lies. We must cling to the risen Christ and worship him alone because there are so many believers who've been deceived, who've been distracted by the diabolical lies in our culture. We must cling to Christ. He is the only way. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to have true peace. He's the only way that, that we can ever receive Acceptable payment for our sins through his death. His righteousness is the sole means by which God accepts us through the mode of faith. This, this, all of this, this is proven by his resurrection. Hallelujah! It's proven by his resurrection. Christ is risen. The tomb is empty. I want to end this message with one last thing. And this is something that was intentionally glossed over before because I wanted to come back to it. This is for everyone who still finds their anxiety spiking at the thought of sharing the gospel with someone else. I want you to, to notice, notice when Jesus met them. Look back at verses 8 and 9. They ran to tell the disciples, and as they were doing that, Jesus met them there. Jesus appeared tangibly to the women after they began to obey in faith. And this is a wonderful picture of what God so often does for us, friends. You remember uh, when the priests were told to step into the overflowing Jordan River before God stopped up its banks it's back in Joshua 3? They didn't have life jackets on. They were, they were carrying a gold-plated box. And they're walking into deep mud and water. But when the sole of their feet 
were all in the water, God showed up just like He said He would. And I'm convinced, friends, that when we obey God's command to share the good news of Jesus, He meets us on the way. You know, Scripture even indicates that, that there are times that His Spirit gave His disciples the very words to say. And so, so brother, sister, listen, don't worry. Don't worry. If you believe the scriptural truth that God will never leave you, that He will never forsake His people, and also that you believe His will is that none should perish but all come to repentance, then you can trust Him to help you go and tell. He brought you to come and see, didn't He? He was faithful to do that. He'll be faithful to help you go and tell. In fact, that's a large part of the reason that He got you to come and see. I think we should not miss this opportunity to spread the resurrection life of Christ to the world around us. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to close in prayer. God, I thank you for each person that's here. Lord, I ask in Christ's name that you move on our hearts, Father. Help us to really think about the truth of the gospel message, how important it is that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead. And, and that we are able to put faith in him and be saved for eternity from eternal hell. But God, we, we, we hear this truth and, and we hear it so frequently that sometimes I think we just kind of put it to the back of our minds and we don't think about it. But Lord, there are people dying and going to hell in the world and they need Jesus. Please, Father, open our eyes to this. Give us the compassion and the empathy to share your message. I pray that each, I pray, Father, right now that each family in this church reaches out to another family this year. Father, that they will spread the gospel, that they'll share the truth of Christ, perhaps bring them to, to this body to worship, but Father, at least get the message out. We are lax in our duties. Help us, Father, to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone here has not yet received Jesus Christ by faith, this morning maybe you're moved in your heart. If you feel led, then I want to I just invite you. Come forward and confess your faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized according to what the Word tells us to do. If you've already done those things and you're just, you know what, I'm backsliding and I'm, I'm not walking in obedience and you want us to pray over you, we're happy to do that. If you want to join this church body and you haven't yet, you're welcome to do that. But listen, don't miss the chance.